Hi, I'm Warren Davies, the Unbreakable Farmer, and welcome to the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast, where I have the privilege to be joined by some amazing people I get to meet in my travels and share their stories and wisdom with you. After all, one of the most powerful assets of any community is the shared wisdom, and the best way to share that wisdom is through storytelling. So sit back and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast. Today, my guest is a third generation in her family to um, start a career in horticulture, working from her father's packing shed um, and wholesale markets to becoming the managing director of her family business. Now she's paving the way um, for women in the food and agricultural industry. Please welcome to the podcast today, Catherine Valicia. G'day, Catherine. Hi. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me, Warren. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. It's um, it's it's good to catch up with you. I've been following the work that you do for a long time, and um, you know, in that field, and obviously during COVID, I've done a, a little bit of work in the in that sort of industry as well, driving tractors. So it's right. been an interesting interesting um synergy. So today, I just wanted to go through your story and and find out a little bit more about you because. You know, I know a little bit about your background and the work that you do, but obviously people that are will be on, on this podcast don't. So I probably want to start off with um, just tell me your, you know, your family story, I suppose, how this all, how we got to today, I suppose, if we start off with your family story. Yeah, for sure. So um, my grandfather came from Albania in the 1930s with his two brothers um, and they came down to Werribee South. And they started initially doing dairy farming. Um, and this area was kind of grazier dairy farming. That was where it be. And then um, World War II broke out and the Pakapanyal Army base was about two hours up the road and they all needed fresh vegetables. So that's why kind of where it be south changed into a horticulture area. So my, my grandfather did that. He pivoted. He became a horticulture grower. Um, they mainly, this area still mainly grows Italian um Based vegetables because it's still quite Italian heavy influence, but um, yeah. So us Albanians just followed suit. Obviously, we thought there was some money in it, so we grew um collies and broccoli, iceberg lettuce and celery. So they're still kind of the main lines that are grown out here. Um, and Werribee South's a really interesting little pocket because it is it's twenty minutes from the CBD. It's completely um built around now. There's no more uh, expansion here, but it does produce a lot of Victoria's vegetables in particular. Um. So 80% of all the cauliflowers bought in Victoria will have come from Werribee South, uh, 60% of the broccoli um, and 30% of the lettuce. So it's still a really hugely productive area. So there's a little bit of tension around that sometimes. Some people want to kind of interchange to housing land and for them to cash out and to be able to retire. Other people think that you know, that would be a tremendous loss to obviously the areas of food security and obviously with COVID to um, kind of playing out, that, that conversation around Werribee South changed a lot. So um, it's, it's, it's definitely, I think, here safe, safe to stay for a long time. So then my career, I just, uh, I, I went to high school. I, I was going to go to uni. I did go to uni for a year, but I wasn't really uh, 
setting the world on fire there. So my father said to me, uh, you better come and work uh, if you're not going to really study. So I came down to the, the packing facility. So we'd always always been in the industry. My dad had a wholesale stand. So I spent many of times, you know, taking the phone to him in the shower while he argued with someone about tomato prices. And <laughs> he was always, he was, he was, he was sleeping. He was. He was. He wasn't a lot. He was around a lot because he was um, going to market at night and school holidays were spent in the market. So we've always been um, a horticulture family. But yeah, then so I started working in the packing facility, and that um, coincided with Aldi supermarkets arriving in Australia, and we were lucky enough to kind of secure that contract, which at the time was tiny. So I used to do it myself. I'd pack a box of broccoli, a box of collies and a box of lettuce and drive it up to the depot in the youth. There wasn't a lot of focus on food safety or or, the, uh, or anything like that about 20, 20 years ago. All the protocols that come with today's world. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I don't think anyone would believe the fact that I threw a box of collies in my car and drove them up and delivered them by hand to, to Aldi. But that's, that's how it all started. Um, and then... We evolved that, you know, that business grew slowly, slowly. So, you know, there'd be one other worker working with me and then there was two and then there was three. So so that really grew quite a bit. Um, my dad was in a business partner relationship and he split with his business partner when I was 24, 25. Um, so I had to go help in the market. Um, so I must admit, like, I wasn't really in love with my career down here in the packing facility. I was, there was no time during any of this time was I thinking this is my career. I was always just thinking about, oh, how do I get out? And, you know, really it was probably like it was a bit of a comfort. I was, you know, I hadn't really garnered a lot of confidence. I hadn't really done much outside externally to really feel like I could do much outside. So I must have been, I did feel a bit trapped. Um, the money was too good to probably go and try to get another job, but it wasn't really fulfilling and I wasn't really that happy. So then I went into the market and that that's, night work is very hard. And I know you're a bit of a um, an expert when we talk about mental health and, and stuff like that. And obviously sleep is a huge um, indicator or, or factor in how kind of emotionally um, healthy one is. And I must admit the lack thereof sleep caused some dark days there. It was, it was hard. Obviously the work, the industry itself, particularly this was the old market, so it was quite ruthless. There was a bit of misogynism. There was a bit of sexism and all of that stuff. But, you know, I'm a bit of a – I don't mind a bit of hustle and, and stuff like that, but it was really the sleep. It, it also removed me a lot from, like, the rest of the world because I was living in an alternate universe to a certain extent. So it was quite isolating. Um, and with that, yeah, really, I did that for about three years and I really thought, nah, this is – this is it. I can't do any of this anymore. I hate it. So I went to university and I kept working in the market, but I went and did a youth work degree at uni and not for any real particular reason other than I wanted to do like a social science. Um, and that was just there. And I just, I just did that, but that really changed my life. Um, that changed how I saw myself that changed what I viewed as capabilities, but what it really did too, it also changed how I saw our industry. I came back with such a I guess, a more opportunistic mindset. I could see so much of the opportunities opposed to it being because now I had choice over my own decision-making in life. I could go get another job now. So once I had kind of freed myself from that cage of this is all I could do, I was able to kind of reflect back and go, no, there's there's a lot there's a lot to be had here. So, so with that, um, my dad kind of coincidentally, again, a lot of this is, I don't know, fate, good management, um, 
whatever you want to call it. But he said he wanted to retire and he wanted to stop doing the market and then he, he was going to come and work out of the shed with me and that was my worst nightmare. <laughs> I could not think of doing this anymore. I was, I was, you know, getting to 30. I'm like, this is not my next 10 or 20 years. So I gave a kind of a love-filled ultimatum that he was more than welcome to come and live, work down the shed but I wouldn't be working in the business anymore or he could um, retire if he wanted to retire. So he did retire. He, he, he retired pretty quickly. I must admit, it, it wasn't there wasn't there wasn't a long thought thought from me. Jumped out of that pretty quickly. Um, and then I bought the business off him. So I made some. Well, the business was a bit stale. There was some changes that I made quickly that kind of just made it a little bit healthy. Um, and nothing exciting. Just like managing some costs. You know, getting your ship under control. Nothing. Nothing groundbreaking. But that kind of changed the trajectory there. And then. With that, I kind of um, stumbled or, or, or started to evolve what has become now probably the most exciting part and probably the thing that I'm most entrenched in is the education business, Veg Education. So it's a sister company to Valicia Farms and it uses Valicia Farms as a business and also all of my learnings to really create some some different kind of programs. So, you know, training for our industry, particularly horticulture, but what really evolved, which is kind of really exciting, is this, this schools program that we're starting to really find our feet in. And it's about showing young people um, all the opportunities that horticulture have, um, the whole supply chain in so many different ways. And we do that through the mechanism of the RTO, which we have become. Um, so it's about, yeah, helping young people eat more fruit and vegetables, which we obviously know is so important for healthy bodies and healthy heads but also um, about thinking about careers in horticulture and, and all the opportunities there. So that's it. Now I'm here. Now, now, now I'm on your podcast, so I can, now I can retire, I think. Now I've made it. <laughs> so if we go back, like I always tell people when I'm doing my presentations, that my dream job was to be a park ranger. It was not to be a dairy <laughs> farmer. Growing up in Melbourne, yeah. I grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, and um, growing up at the foot of the Dandenongs, my dream job was to be a park ranger, not to be a dairy oh. farmer. It was only when <clears throat> mum and dad moved to the country that that became an option. And <laughs> I always funnily say that, you know, farming to me, because we had friends that were farmers in Gippsland, farming to me was all about tractors, motorbikes and slug guns. Like that's what farming was to me. It wasn't all the other stuff that I become really passionate about. So growing up, like when you said that you didn't really think that, horticulture was going to be a career what was your dream job what did as, as a little kid growing up what was what would have been your dream job I have to be really honest I'm a Gemini so I'll put that out there so I changed my mind on many things quite regularly I don't think I ever had anything that I was really stuck on becoming but it's probably something too and I know that people find it a little bit shocking but I'm actually quite introverted I'm quite shy and I was really not very confident for pretty much even up all through my 20s so when I say that uni changed my life it really did it kind of changed my whole persona because I kind of self-actualized a bit I felt like I'd done something and proven that to myself so that's that really changed has changed everything so I know like I'll say to people, I'm actually quite shy and introverted. And they're like, but you've just been on telly. Like, you, you, you. And, and it really is two different kind of masks. Not masks, that's not the right term, but um, 
there's like a work me and then there's a me me and those things are a little bit different but because there's such a drive I guess to to achieve what I want to achieve I just fit into I just do what I have to do and I just kind of execute on that so unfortunately I don't have it I might might have wanted to be a vet there for a little while but you know you have to be really smart to be one of them so that <laughs> it's, it's easier to oper- that, there wasn't anything else. it's easier to operate on <laughs> <So>, broccoli <laughs> Um, <laughs> and I and I I totally can you know empathise with that because that's that's like me because like anxiety is something that I deal with still on a daily basis and and everyone goes oh, you can't be anxious or you're not um you know you're not shy or anything like that you're standing up in front of people and talking but it's it's I think and I explain this to people like I can be standing in front of an audience with a churning stomach feeling. Yeah so overwhelmed but it's um, once I get going my purpose takes over the anxiety and that's like what you talk about that drive of you know if you've got purpose I think that's really important it's you know a lot of people that I talk to that are struggling they've have lost their purpose or their identity and they don't know what they're what they're um, striving for so with that with that kind of um, I suppose you know, growing up being that introvert and that when you face those challenges at the market, like of, you know, as you said, sexism and stuff like that, how did you deal with with that at that time? Like being this not shy person, but being someone that I, I could understand that that would affect affect how you, you know, your mental health and how you're feeling about yourself. Yeah, look, I was probably quite combative. Like I, I wouldn't, in hindsight, I would not have handled it the way, like how I would handle stuff today was definitely not the way I would handle it when I was, you know, 25. Um, I think I did. I think too I was, there was a lack of an awareness of what takes its toll. I think only actually in the last, I would have to say, 24 months, I've really started to become very aware of what takes its toll on me and trying to be proactive around that and, and being more astute around that. So in answering your question, I was probably quite combative. I was probably quite, I was a smart ass. I would have, I would have kind of matched fire with fire, but I think that took a bigger toll on me than I was aware of. I was, I was just in a reactive space for a long time. So it's hard, it's hard in hindsight to know what, what causes different things or what's impacting you and different things in when you're not really in that awareness space. It's only kind of, when you shift into that and you become a bit more mature or aware around impacts and, and what's the toxic environment for you or what's what takes its toll or what then leads to other behaviours and it becomes that cycle. So, you know, I guess that's probably, if we're talking about mental health, my biggest learning is you, you've got to be really aware of it. You've got to be really on your, on your toes around it. You've got to be very um, kind of mindful and astute to yourself because, it's easy to fall into that really reactive space and then that can spiral out quickly and badly. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and yeah, I can once again, I agree with that. It's just, um, it's having that awareness and education. That's one of the things that drives what I do is, you know, growing up as that, that kid who was struggling with his anxiety and his low self-esteem and that not understanding or being aware and you just accept that that's normal and then, so and then you and it's not until later on and it was actually when I did my speaker course like we had to sit down and unpack our story and try and find some value in it to um you know what were we going to share with an audience and I learned lots about myself just by doing that exercise 
um, understanding or, yeah, well, this is why I'm where I'm at now because of this, this and this. And I didn't realise the impact that that had on me at that stage. And, and you know, so and then that just, as you said, creates behaviours and, and, and circular things going on in your life that just keep keep flowing through. So as that business leader, what strategies do you use now, um, you know, to make sure that you're looking after yourself and, and, you know, making sure that you're not getting overwhelmed or, um, you know, burnt out, I suppose, in your business? Uh Look, I, look I, I, I'm definitely not that good at it sometimes. I think what I've I was I was really burnt out at the beginning of this year, like tremendously so, um, and I just I kind of really just took stock. I started, you know, um, just not doing as many meetings, like just kind of taking some time out, going to yoga lots, doing like lots of healthy stuff, trying not to drink much. Alcohol's, alcohol's the worst thing for, for it. It's such an easy um an easy fix for things, but for me, it, it can become quite problematic. Um, it just makes me feel anxious. It just builds on behaviours. It's just you know you're not tired, then you're not sleeping right, you're not eating properly. So it's, it's about really trying to do all those things. Probably filling your life in with more healthy activities, so you can so so you're instead of trying to stop negative activities. I'm not very good at not doing stuff, but I'm very good at doing stuff. So focusing on doing more stuff that's good. Um, but, yeah, I think, too, I've, I've just become very mindful of when I'm feeling really good and I do get these kind of um, supercharged, you know, weeks or months where it's like, oh, I'm a machine. I try not to be a machine anymore because that come, you crash. That doesn't last forever and it's hard not to feel like, oh, no, this is it. This is the turning point. Now I'm just Teflon and I'm going to run at full speed. But I, I try not to now dive into that good feeling as ferociously as I used to. Yeah, so you're a bit more aware of how you're feeling, and and know that you're not bulletproof, and you've got to you've got to look after yourself. That self care is really important. Um, just wanted yeah. to talk a little bit more about the the education, and and um, and so how does that play out? Do you have like school groups come to your farms, or do you go to schools, or how does that? How do you how do you fulfill that? We have many different aspects to it so it started in COVID and it started through a VFF grant where we just started um, having primary school excursions here and then through that it evolved where we do have excursions like we've just wanted a grant with Ag Victoria to have 75 schools through the facility to talk to them about careers in horticulture but what we do is because we are an RTO so the equivalent of a TAFE we can run um, an Auspice model which means that we're delivering in schools so we have a secondary schools program that's called um, Food Futures and it links the horticulture supply chain to different subjects, subjects that sometimes people don't really think of. So we link it to food tech subjects. So hopefully to gain a whole new um, cohort of students to start thinking about careers because if they're interested in food and then they can see how exciting and interesting a lettuce is to grow and all the aspects to our businesses, then maybe they'll shift their lens to that. And also we focus on business subjects. So we've got one that's called the business of food. So, again, it's like saying farming, is, is growing something is one aspect of a whole and we're really trying to show that whole. So we deliver that in secondary schools nationally um, and then we do the primary school excursions and we do, we're do we doing lots of different stuff now like in partnerships. We're working with Nutrition Australia on a project called Become a Veg Influencer, which is about encouraging um, 
people who look after, you know, in primary school, in primary schools and pre 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 primary, whatever that's called, um, yeah. those those people to see how they can influence young people to eat more vegetables. Um, we work with the, a few universities, Vic, Victoria University. We're doing a lot with Melbourne Uni. So that space is just constantly overflowing with opportunities because I think it's the first time really that a business and a real-life industry experience has linked properly into that um, educational space. So we're in a little bit of an exciting time at the moment, and and, and it is exciting too because as much as I love Valicia Farms, it was something I took over. You know, it wasn't, wasn't, it's mine, I'm a caretaker of it. But this is like, there again, there's that sense of pride of making something out of nothing that you've done yourself. So, again, from that kind of self-actualisation point of view, that, that 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 really it does kind of get me a bit excited and and it is it's a nice from a risk mitigation point of view but also from a from a mental health point of view it's a nice side business to the Valicia Farms business horticulture agriculture they're tough businesses when you're growing vegetables when you're in that supply chain when you're serving you know c- customers who are re- very sophisticated and also very powerful it's 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 a tough grind there's not a lot of wins um, you don't feel like you have many wins in a day in that type of the business. So having this kind of more fluffy, um, may I say, education business where, you know, people actually appreciate what you're doing and they're excited and they're, oh, you know, there's there's a constant good kind of feeling around it. It really has helped me, um, you know, really balance out kind of my career a bit. And, and I think everyone's here in the business too. I think it's added a lot of value to the experiences of the employees in Valicia Farms. And like I said, added that kind of excitement. You know, young people will come in and they go, oh, wow, you do this, you do that. Like there's not a lot of positivity sometimes in our industries. We're hard, you know, we're hard, tough, you know, get the job done. Next thing, get the job done. You know, you're not really celebrating wins. So that's been a really important aspect of that. So. Yeah, it's 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 balancing out really nicely. It's good. And I think that 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 plays through any agricultural industry. You don't get a, a big chance to celebrate the wins because the next window's open and you've got to get the next crop in or the next job's yeah. got to be done and you don't get that chance. So there'd be nothing more rewarding to see someone in a classroom where the light bulb goes off and goes, oh, this is why I'm doing maths in this subject or this is why I'm, yeah, yeah that, that is be um, an exciting part of, uh, exciting part of your business. So on the other side, on the farm side, you're talking about, um, you know, your supply base. So you supply supermarkets and that right across Australia. Is that how, you know, like your, your, your natural business reach, I suppose? Yeah, so yeah, we're Aldi Supermarkets is our is our biggest customer and has been from the start. Um, so we do that mainly in Victoria, but we do do it in kind of national in other pockets. Um, we supply the other wholesale markets, so we've got a market stand ourselves still. Um, so and then we supply other other wholesale markets around the, the around the traps, and we do supply the other change, but just not directly. Um, and that's been a bit of a conscious move by me. Again, maybe a bit of preservation. Um, it's hard. It's hard work. Um, there's there's some things in, in in the supply chain in that that whole space that I don't necessarily agree with on a intrinsic level. So as much as I'm willing to play in the game and to do as much as I possibly can to succeed what I've got, I don't really want to pursue it in in a, in a 
bigger sense, if that makes sense, because I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it all. So there's there's different outlets, I guess, we're looking for different avenues, and, and that's really, you know, that really has been again the education business. Not only has it been, you know, fun and it's good, and you know, everyone loves it, but it has it has been a bit of a risk mitigation strategy and a good one at that. So I think that's also important when we're talking about, you know, and I think that's kind of been a common theme now as I'm talking this out. When you feel trapped in a space, that can become very triggering and a very kind of um, toxic space. Even if it's a good space, if you don't feel like you can you can manoeuvre out of that, um, that, that's a hard place to be as a human. So I think just having different opportunities and, and being that as a person yourself or in a business or whatever, just making sure that you do have um, different levers to pull can really help on those times that sometimes that main pull lever is a, is, is a bit stuck, you know. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't become all as consuming for you. Yeah, you can feel trapped even, yeah, as you said, even if things are going really well, it's still, you know, if that's all you're doing, it's yeah, you've got no other aspects to your life where if you've got multiple things coming in, whether, and I talk about that in like my unbreakable wheel of well-being, like, no, your spokes of your wheels or all your well-being domains and whether they're financial or vocational or intellectual or whatever they are, you've got to keep them all balanced and you've got to make sure that, you know, even though it's great to be financial, but it's no use being financial if you've got no social life or your mental health or physical health is no good either. Your wheel's still not balanced, so you've got to find that happy balance. So that's kind of what you you're saying. Is, right? you're good so, uh, are you good at balancing your wheel? I sit down um, quite often with my with my unbreakable wheel of well-being, do that exercise myself just to see where I'm at. And I actually did it last week. I did a post on socials and said, you know, I, I probably realised I need to do a bit more of my physical and, and mental health well-being just to, because, you know, the the last few weeks have been fairly busy. I've got a, a reasonably busy yeah. calendar coming up and you're sitting there and, and I'm trying to do everything I'm doing from social media to the, the logistics of getting to Brisbane, to Broome, to Melbourne kind of thing. And, you know, it's, it's tough. And when you're doing that, I would have probably been at um, that level. I would have been at that level if COVID hadn't have come along, but COVID come along and kind of yeah. I didn't grow where I wanted to grow. And now that I'm getting there, it's coming out of that trying to, you know, balance that out which is being difficult but that hopefully that keeps going and then I can get people in to help me do that sort of stuff so yeah no I'm not really good at it I definitely wasn't good at it as a farmer Um, it's one of the things that really was detrimental to my mental health particularly during the drought because I worked harder and harder um, thinking that I could outsmart my silent business partner mother nature and yeah I couldn't do that I'm not that clever and but I was like yourself um, you know um, physically, emotionally exhausted and and tired, and that when you're struggling with your mental health at the same time, that just leads you on into that spiral. So I want to talk to you now about the future of agriculture or horticulture, because um, I've been fortunate enough as a speaker to be, um, you know, to go to a number of different conferences and speak at those conferences across different sectors of the agricultural industry and. I get really excited when you sit down and listen to a futurist or someone that's talking about drone technology or, you know, robotics. I did one with um, 
with um, the fruit growers of Victoria the other day or the other week down in Druin and they had a robotic apple picker there and like I'm looking at it, even though it's a long way off being a, like matching the human picker, it was just so exciting to see that stuff. Where do you see the future of agriculture in general but horticulture specifically for you? Well, I do see it in technology, but I actually see it in people. Um, and I think that's the big opportunity piece. And obviously, I do feel passionately about that. And that's why we created Veg Education. I think it's about, you know, young people today, and they really do, they want to do something. They don't want to just have a job. They want to save the world. Everything they want to do, That they really, there's like this real piece of this needs to matter. And I really, truly believe that, um, horticulture particularly, but agriculture in, in general and how you produce your food as a society reflects not only on your culture but also is the way to save the world. So I, I believe that from the bottom of my heart. So I guess what we implore people and what we try to do through all of these kind of conversations and why we're trying to get people younger than generally has been done by our industries is to explain to them if you're worried about climate change if you're worried about social injustice if you're worried about you know where we're all going to be in 100 or 150 years the way to actually steer that and to change that conversation and to actually have impact would be to be part of the food supply chain system that is feeding all of the people in the world no, well, that's um, it's one of the things that I've been big on always there's always going to be a place for um, primary industry, I believe, because everyone's got to eat. I was always a great believer of that. It's just being um, remunerated well enough to be able to stay in the game. That's the the, the biggest thing. And, and and you know, obviously, with my career, I was a farm owner, and then we lost our farm, and then I went into farm management on you know anything from family operations through to corporate operations, and um, knowing that there's a place there for everybody, um, and you know, yeah. everyone's pathway is different. It's it's you know, that's why I get excited when I, I see, you know, a group of young people at a conference and they're talking about all this technology and stuff, but knowing that the technology is only one part of the of the pyramid, if you like, and people are the most important part of it. Now, I don't think, you know, I've worked in dairies where, you know, meant to be a one-man dairy, but you need three instead of two <laughs> just to keep it running. Like the technology's there, but it's just it's still lab- like the, you still need that labour and it's um, all those people that, that can work it. And, you know, whether that that role changes from being, you know, people like tech- you become a technician. I was talking to a mechanic and, you know, he's gone from being a grease monkey now to a technician um, because most yeah. of his work's done on a computer. It's not done with spanners and, and stuff. That's all, you know, diagnostic kind of, um, you know, tools that they use. So it's... Uh, the world's a bit different, but there's always going to be that place for people and it's just finding their, I suppose, how they find that pathway. But agriculture is um, yeah, is a very good pathway to get into if you, if you can. So I love the work that you're doing in that space. So to wrap up, I've got a couple of good questions for you. Um, I threw them to you before we went live and, and I've given you time to think about them, so we'll see how we go. So um, have you got a favourite book? Uh, people always ask me i'm not the best reader in the world um but I, they always ask and there's a couple of books that i always tell people have you got a favorite book that you've read or that's inspired you um either in business or in life 
Well, it's it's probably not a bit. It's probably not inspiring. It's actually probably a bit bleak. But the, this is, it probably says a little bit about me. Um, actually, The Outsider by Albert Camus. I I I read that in year ten, and I've probably read that I guess another ten times since. Yeah. And there's something, and obviously the backstory around that, and the myth of Sisyphus, you know, pushing the the rock up the hill and it rolls down, but you know, trying to find meaning in 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 an existence that has no meaning. Um. I don't necessarily agree with the whole premise of that, but what I do think it's it's a good lens to sometimes try to not take yourself so serious and the life so serious because if it is just us pushing a rock up and we really could have probably had fun doing that or try, we could have done it a different way and that was all it was going to be anyway, it's the serious story or the, the pressure we've put on ourselves that has created the burden around that stone, I guess. So... That's 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 what I that's 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 probably the probably and it's a quick read. It's a pretty quick read too. So yeah, all right. <laughs> well, that'll go into the show notes. That one. So that'll be a recommendation. <laughs> what about your favourite music? This will probably tell more about you. <laughs> oh, I, I, I listen to lots of different music, but my favourite band would have to be In Excess. So I'll probably oh. just show you. My- but that's all it probably tells everyone. <laughs> no, well, that's that means you're an absolute legend because that's my oh. favourite band. So um, I always, yeah, in my in my talks because I I talk about my um, my anxiety even as a speaker. I I use I I use what I call my my term as the the Michael Hutchins syndrome that oh. like he would. Because he was, because it's my favourite band, and plus Michael was as blind as a bat, so it didn't matter if he was playing at Wembley Stadium to a hundred thousand people. It was still an intimate concert to the first seven rows, so that's what I do. It makes, and I say that's how I overcome sometimes my anxiety on a big stage. I pick out four people in the audience and have individual conversations with them instead of worrying about the other four hundred that might be in the room. So that's yeah. So in excess, that's that's another tick. So that'll go that'll go into the show notes as well. I like trying to channel. I try to channel my inner Michael every now and then. You know, when you to add a bit of showmanship to what you're doing, I think that's important too. Like. Um, I think it's a bit of a privilege to be able to speak to people or to get the opportunity to be on stage or whatever it is. And I think you're all. There's almost a point where, like, you owe it to whoever you're in front of to try to give them some entertain, like, to to make it compelling and entertaining. You know, I I think that's a bit of a. I take that quite seriously. I take um a, the performance, and I don't mean that in a in a, in a horrible way, but just if I'm asked to speak at something or do a podcast or whatever, I really try to bring a lot to it because it's. I think it's a bit of a privilege. So you should you know put everything out there into it. And I think that that encapsulates why Michael was the greatest showman, like as he was. He was he was probably that shy person, but on the stage he was yeah he was the the best of the best. Um, so leads me to the last two questions. So, um, what would be the best piece of advice that you've received um, off somebody in your life? The best- the best piece of advice, and at the time I didn't really understand it. So um, John Sade is a, uh, a Fresh Select is a huge Australian horticulture business. And um, when I first took over the business from Dad, I went and visited him a lot. Went and annoyed him a lot. And I remember walking into the shed one day, and he was they were doing something new. You know, they're always doing stuff. And he looked at me and he just said, "Here's a tip: never start anything." Right? And it kind of washed over me, like really just washed over me, and I didn't really take any notice of it. Those words play in my head all the time now. 
when I do stuff. And I know, again, it sounds a bit bleak, but what it really says to me is, you know, don't go into things blindly and think they're going to be really easy, going to be really fun, going to be really quick, going to be really successful. Um, they may be those things, but if you, whatever you, when, how quickly you think that will happen or how easily you think you, that will happen, that it will not be the case. And to have that really as, as a lens to say, if I'm going to do something, I have to be prepared that it's going to have hard times. It's going to probably take a lot longer than I thought. There's going to be a lot more challenge to it. I actually think it sets you up for success far better than a false sense of, oh, well, yeah, I'll be an RTO and we'll be making millions in, in, and everyone will be eating vegetables in three months' time. You know, so that don't start anything is, is I think, a really an, a mature lens to, to look at approaching things. Of course, we're all going to start something and we, and we all, all should and there's great, um, there's great creativity in that. But don't be naive and don't underestimate what it takes to actually start anything. <laughs> <laughs> or finish it more importantly it's easy to start but to finish it <laughs> yeah have, yeah have the longevity in in that mindset to be able to finish it off and this is probably along the same sort of lines this question but um probably from a different perspective so if you could sit down with your 15 year old self and give yourself some advice what would that yeah. be uh it would probably be um, you'll get there, like um, things will change. Try to have more fun. Try, 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 try and have more fun. I'm still not very good at it now. Like I, at, at having fun in, in things, like taking things not too seriously at work and stuff like that. So I think that would be it. Like try to find the fun in everything you do. Because you're still going to have to do it anyway. Like we've still got to do it, so you might as well try to have a bit of fun with it. Yeah, I think we all probably try and grow up a little bit too quicker and quickly, and um, get into that real world where yeah, it's all going to happen anyway. You just got you should enjoy those younger years. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you the coming on um, today onto the podcast. Um, I've learned I've learned a lot and. Um, and I'm sure some of the, the people that are listening have learnt lots as well. And, and I really love the work that you're doing in the education space. Like it's really important, I think. And it's also bridging that gap, you know, that, you know, I suppose that city country divide where people don't understand where their food comes from and all that, all that goes with that and, and, and places a lot more value um, on the agricultural industry as a, as a whole. So if people want to find out more about, of education or about Valicia Farms, where where can we look you up or find out more information? Yeah, so go to vegeducation.com on um on the internet. Uh, we've got Instagrams, we've got Facebooks, we've got LinkedIn, so just follow us anywhere. Um yeah, we're we're doing a lot of great stuff. Uh we do do a lot because of because of my links to industry, we have been able to get a lot of good footage of things. So if you're interested in like seeing a 52 hectare glass house or how your mangoes are, are harvested and things like that we have a lot of good content there so please um yeah have a look reach out we've already you know the more people that can see stuff when you put in the effort of making it and doing it, it it's great if people can enjoy it so yeah oh 
Beautiful. Well, thanks, Catherine, for coming on. I'm really appreciative of your time. I understand you're a, you're a busy person, and and um, yeah, to spend you know, 40 minutes with me um, sharing your story, I, I really appreciate that. So, thank you very much. My pleasure, Warren. Thank you. Love what you do. So, keep it up, mate. Cheers. Thank you. See ya. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast and I appreciate any feedback and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast.